Hello and welcome everybody to the Real Education Podcast. I am Tamara Aswahani, uh, founder and editor-in-chief of Checkpoint, and I'm joined today by Chris Winston-Longley, who's responsible for the uh, Checkpoint learning and education side of things, um, and actually it's his little baby. We're also joined by Asma Lubaka, who's a doctoral researcher at Brunel University, um, and she's actually inadvertently part of the Checkpoint team aren't you asma this uh, you, you've kind of been involved in what we've been doing welcome thank you um let's start a little bit with uh with what we've been doing and 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 how we've been working so just to for anybody that doesn't know um and hasn't kind of kept up with this is the first podcast you're listening to uh, one of the things that checkpoint offers is taking video game ip and creating learning resources um, out of them. Now, those learning resources can be in any form. We tend to do bedtime stories. We tend to do magazines that look at the impact of video games on society, culture, sport, um, and uh, politics. Um, but we also, post-pandemic or during the pandemic, we focused a lot on the inherent gaming principles um, and started tying those in um, with uh, the national curriculum, primarily. Um, Chris came on board to start leading that, and it very quickly became clear that we were on something quite interesting and we went to Brunel University to ask them to start evidencing um, the, the, the materials that we were writing. Um, so Asma, I would like to start with you if that's okay. So let, let's just start with your role and what you're doing and, and what your specialism is. Okay, um, my specialism is education. Uh, I'm doing my doctoral research uh, in education as well, in equality and adversity in secondary schools. Uh, I work with Dr. Kate Hoskins. Uh, we're trying to uh, get to schools and have the teachers uh, deliver those lessons to students. And then we have an interview with them and see how things go. So we're just in the very first stage of the research process. We've just started uh, visiting schools. So we've done one so far. And uh, yeah, so we, we're gathering data. Amazing. But when you got the lesson plans originally, mm -hmm. are they what you expected them to be? Mm -hmm. Okay, so let me be frank. Yeah. So when I got the lesson plans and I saw uh, the research uh, project title, really, I didn't think that was um, feasible. So it was gamification of the lessons uh, in for key stage two students. And so I saw the lessons, of course, there were uh, gaming characters in there, but I, I, I was expecting, uh, and, and because again, we're not specialists in you know, gamification and education at all, uh, I was expecting more uh, kind of uh, game-led lesson or game-centered lesson. So I'd expect more games within the lessons, activities that were turned into games and everything. Now, I was in charge of doing the literature review. Uh, and uh, by doing the literature review, of course, you're getting more knowledge about what is really gamification, you know, in education. And it's not about turning everything into games. It's absolutely not that. So I've realized that. And uh, yeah, and, and having done the first school already, uh, of course, you know, my view, my perspective, my uh, opinion of those lessons have changed a lot. Well, that's good. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. And I'll come on to that in a little bit. But what I suppose. Um, if, if you don't mind me pushing, what did you expect when, when you were sort of, sort of brought on board by Kate and brought on board by Mike? So you said that you expected them to turn into to games, but did you expect us to, when you looked at them, what was your initial thought? Did you think, ah, okay, 
I, I can't play a game because obviously one of our key things is that we don't encourage or endorse or, or, or support the idea of playing any games in, in class, which is, I think, something that teachers kind of it blows their mind a little bit. Yeah, I was expecting really, uh, I was expecting uh, that the learning would be turned into games, whether it is, you know, classroom games based in the classroom or in the city suite using computers. I was really expecting something, um, yeah, that was turned into game. Yeah, and, and were, were you happy that it wasn't? Or were you initially, no, I didn't were you initially a little bit kind of like, actually, this isn't what I wanted? No, it's not what I wanted. I mean, I, at the end of the day, it was a job and I'm paid for it. So I have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really asked what I want or what I don't want. But uh, it's, it's what perhaps what bothered me at the beginning. And again, with the lack of knowledge of what is really gamification in education, it was that uh, for me, um, the gamification element of the lessons were just a hook. And it was perhaps nothing so special about the lesson, except that, of course, they were very well planned and very colorful and the progression was evident in the lesson and all these things. So they were very, very well planned lesson and well designed as well. But in terms of the game, the gaming, gaming culture, I really didn't see the link here. So I didn't think, yeah, I, I didn't think we were going to find I didn't, I mean, we didn't collect all the data, so I can't talk about of the course. findings very much, but um, I, I didn't think, I, I thought we were going to, going to be disappointed by uh, the results, but it doesn't seem like it. <laughs> well, that's great to know. <laughs> and just to be clear, everybody, Chris and I have no idea at the moment um, as to yeah. the results. So what Asma is telling us, we're hearing for the first time. So my heart's yeah. racing a little bit, which is which is really nice, which is really nice, but it's good to know that. And Chris, this was a deliberate, kind of strategy from our end this is what we'd agreed this is and this is i think the major stumbling block that we've had all the time with teachers that we approach when we talk to them about um our lesson plans is this, this there's this i think there's this idea of edtech digital literacy all of the things that are very complicated to implement within a classroom that teachers immediately switch off from uh, like asma did initially just kind of going right is this a gamification where's this going to go that's a, that's kind of we've been battling a lot haven't we that the, the idea of not using games and and we don't like the words gamification digital literacy ed, ed tech that that's kind of the core part isn't it chris of, of where we're going uh yes I, I think there's a need to educate everybody about how games work how, how their their actual game mechanics are educating the player because they're teaching the player. I mean, I, and I don't just mean that initial, um, here's how you play the game, here's, here's the controller, here's what the buttons do. That as you start to explore a game and you start to open things up, you begin to learn about the game, you begin this sort of voyage of discovery within the game and the game starts to reward you in various ways and challenge you in various ways. And it's working on curiosity and determination and risk taking and challenge and reward. And it's doing all these things that people understand, I mean, they play games because they enjoy that. It, it's like you solve a crossword because you like solving puzzles. So it's not a surprise to find that, that people enjoy playing games, but all those learning strategies or principles that are inherent in games are also inherent in education or in an education that isn't, I mean, it's another subject, 
but in a, in a not knowledge-based, content-heavy education system where it's just learning rote facts and regurgitation, etc. But if you've got a learning system where where students are exploring and discovering for themselves and innovating and creating and then there are parallels to be drawn there. Now, there's nothing new there at all. We're not saying we've, we've invented anything or discovered. It's all known. Um, and education has always veered between, you know, depending on the government of the day and the ideologies involved, of, of how they perceive children should be taught and what's valuable. So there's nothing new here. But what we sort of hit on, if you like, was the fact that games are ubiquitous in society. I think the new framework that the government has just released um, for research, I think it said 91% of three to 15 year olds are gamers. Now that's, that's almost everybody. And also the teachers are gamers. If they're 28, 30 years old, they're going to be gamers, second generation gamers. So we had there a huge context that could be used for education. Because the disconnect that I experienced, and that this all came from personal experience and my unhappiness um, in teaching, was that I was always trying to teach something to children that they found irrelevant and inappropriate. They didn't see the point of what they were learning. I don't think that's so much at Key Stage 2, but certainly in secondary education, children are always saying, why am I learning this? I don't need this. What's it got to do with me? And when you looked at their social situation where they were living, all the rest, and their job prospects and all that, yeah, yes, it didn't make a lot of sense, what the content that we were delivering. And so I through gaming, we we sort of identified a way of getting children on board to go, right, we do have to do Shakespeare for the national curriculum, but can we actually use all these learning sciences which are known, which gaming uses? and share those and this knowledge that children have got it's a very it's a tacit knowledge they don't know it's like we all say we can read but you have to be taught english reading you have to be taught literature and how it's working and, and what the meanings are and how meanings being conveyed and, and games are exactly the same um can i i'm just going to interrupt you there because i i, I kind of want to bring asma into this because it's really interesting for both of you, and, and this is something that I, I kind of wanted to do. As I've mentioned earlier, you're both secondary school teachers, so Key Stage 3 onwards, right? And we focus our lessons at Key Stage 2 transition, as you know, Asma, now because, of, because we want to give the confidence to the children to be able to learn how to learn rather than what to learn and, and give them that kind of agency so when they get to secondary school, they feel that they have the, the skills and the knowledge as they would with a new game when they pick up a new game, right, I'm just going to dive in and, and, and learn. But Asma, starting with you, if that's all right, when we said video games, what was your first reaction? Okay, well, I'm not, I'm definitely not against video games at all. I know uh, that my son was playing uh, on a game, uh, I don't know, it was about the, 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 the Ottoman Empire, and then when we went to Istanbul, he knew exactly that, what that building was, and, and the area and everything. I was really like, I was amazed. So oh, I Assassin's thought, Creed. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Assassin's Creed, yeah, Assassin's that's Creed. the one. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I, you know, I was, I'm, I'm not against game games at all or video games at all. I think they could be very, uh, you know, educative as well. But uh, what I thought in terms of the lessons is that there was nothing there about video games except for the video game characters. And that's what I didn't understand. Looking at 
the teachers delivering those lessons, you can see that the students are using the skills they perhaps have learned while they were playing video games into the lessons. They're bringing those skills into the classroom. Um, so yeah, and the knowledge as well. It was, I don't know if I could give that little example, but it was that students um, that said, oh, um, chuckles. Is it chuckles? Uh, we, uh, no, knuckles. 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 Sorry. It's all right. <laughs> Chuck chuckles is a bad name for knuckles. He's evil. He's evil. <laughs> oh, still not very familiar. No, with no, no, no. It's, but it's great. This is amazing. He did say that oh, this was a kind of fox from the ancient China, and it was giving the whole background. So I was really, really amazed. I could see really how they would bring the knowledge and the skills that they've acquired in their, you know, gaming uh, experiences into the classroom. So now it does make sense. I have to say it didn't at first. I saw video games. I didn't think those lessons had anything to do with video games except for the characters. But I can, yeah. And it's only the first schools that I've done. So, you know, once we are close to the Well, Chris, tell your story. I, re I remember very clearly the, the first conversation that we had. Do you want to just kind of give an overview of what you thought the video games angle was? Um, I, yeah, I, I can try to. I've so changed now, but it's difficult to, <laughs> to get back to that person I was three years ago. Um, I think I told you that video games was a dirty word in secondary school. Um, it certainly wasn't something that I would ever have suggested to management or to be caught even talking about in a schoolroom. Um, we had the issue, um, which I now don't think is true at all. It probably wasn't true then, but it was all, it was the boys and they were spending all night gaming, and that's why they were tired and not interested in schoolwork. And, and gaming was seen as the enemy of education, that it was getting in the way, it was distracting people, and for what? For, for shooting and killing people. Um, and that's how I perceived it. Even though my, my son hadn't played um, games like GTA or anything, they weren't there at the time. But there is an idea, but, isn't there, for both of you, I think. Uh, Assassin's Creed is a AAA game, Call of Duty. We're talking about a very specific genre of games here, aren't we? And, and those are the ones that make mainstream, that make news. And I think... Go on, Chris. Can I just come back? That, that was a point I was going to make. Sorry, I, I waffled on a bit before. But when we talked about gamification a few minutes ago, we don't like the word gamification because of its now perceived understanding because the media and certain parts of the industry promote certain things. So GTA, Fortnite, Minecraft, everybody knows those. And so that becomes people's perception of video games and they don't see the wealth. And, and I was surprised, Tamir, when you said to me, do you have Candy Crush on your phone? Do you, do you play games like Tetris? And I'm going, well, yes. And you go, well, then you're a video gamer. And I'm going, no, that's ridiculous. I'm not, I don't have a controller and an Xbox and I'm not shooting people all that. How is Candy Crush a video? But you pointed out to me the whole thing, the world of video games. And then I began to explore it and I saw this huge wealth of games and the areas they go. It's like literature, it, it's huge. And that's another reason I then saw the potential. But your bog standard educational establishment 
are not going to be aware at the moment, I think, are not going to be aware of the wealth of games that are out there because the media and the industry control the way we perceive things. And gamification has, it's interesting listening to, to Asma talk about it because my understanding of gamification in the media is just that you give badges and rewards and you run the lesson like a game, which we know personally from our, it doesn't work. We don't endorse that. We wouldn't use it. Uh, we think it's just, it's hijacking games to make irrelevant content more palatable is, is how we'd see it. Um, and it, it's not going to last because the, you have to either make the children interested in learning itself, regardless of the content, or you have to make the content interesting and just rewarding someone saying, okay, you can study this thing you're not enjoying, but we'll give you a badge and we'll call you by a team name and then we'll have a, a chart on the board. It's a bit like stars on the fridge. They might work when you're three or four years old, but when you're 16, they're certainly not working anymore. I think, can and, I just jump in as well on that? Because I think it's really important. The reward system within games means something. So when you get an achievement mm. or you get something within a video game, you've worked for it and you've done it. So if you get an Xbox achievement, PlayStation trophy, a Steam thing, whatever it is, there's a reason that you've got it and you've worked towards it because you're working towards a game so uh, within the game whereas if you're just rewarding people they become just kind of throwaway things that that as you say and remember gamers start very early children are digitally native they are born digitally native so they know how to use an ipad they know how to use devices um so the idea of trying to reward them through a system that they've already been involved with that they know how it works is very patronizing to the child and it takes away from the learning that they are taking away from it i would love to know what the reaction i mean we've heard your reaction when you've seen the materials um, but I presume there was probably a similar reaction from the teachers when you started approaching the schools to talk to them about the lessons yes yeah, surprisingly nobody uh, felt skeptical about participating in the study so they've had the um, information sheet where we gave them all the information about the research uh, and the lessons as well but they were yeah willing to try there was no no kind of a negative reaction to those lessons. It was quite the opposite. And, and again, if I refer to my first school, we had um, somebody who's never played game before, a teacher, uh, so an older teacher. And I've also interviewed a very young teacher who has been teaching for um, the last two years. So he was probably in his early 20s. So yeah, we, I've had both um, kind of generations. And uh, yeah. No, they were not at all. Um, I didn't. I didn't get negative vibes from them. That's okay. Can I just say, uh, Chris, when you say when you talk about gamification and that people assume that it is turning lessons into games, is because is because research that has been done in gamification in education has focused on single games. So they would focus, for example, on uh, I don't know Minecraft and teaching um, geography or geology or Roblox and teaching design. So that's why now we think that gamification is turning the lesson into a game because the research has focused on that more. But yeah, it's true, it's, it's, it's definitely not true. So I just wanted to say that. So. Uh, I don't think we made it very clear to anybody really. What exactly are we researching? I think it's more of an exploratory research. So we're going out there using the materials that you have uh, produced, um, which, um, 
contains some kind of, I don't know how do you want me to call it, Chris, because I know you said you don't like gamification, <laughs> the word gamification, but, but it is really, I mean, for me, I, I didn't like, I don't like gamification so much because again, people would assume that it's turning everything into games, but it is really using students' um, funds of knowledge and wealth um, and cultural wealth and, and the gaming culture is part of the mainstream culture anyway. So it would be part of that uh, concept, I would say. So yeah, perhaps, and again, because of the words and the, you know, the-, the Well, the this meaning. has been a problem, hasn't it? I mean, we, we were defining cultural capital in a way that we, I mean, we've identified that video games are ubiquitous and, and the advantage of video games is it's not just the game. So if we take a character, for example, like Sonic, they're not just appearing in video games, they're appearing in merchandise, they're appearing in TV shows, they're appearing in comic books. So the accessibility to that character, the ubiquitous nature of that character speaks to a global audience in a way which we started using the word cultural capital, which we were using incorrectly. But this is that realm that we're talking about, the words gamification, the game, the ed tech, cultural capital. I think you figured out, Asma, that we're very protective and particular because we know what we're trying to get out of it and we don't want to be confused with everybody else that's just trying to tick a box to kind of mm -hmm. go well we're doing gamification we're doing csr we're doing no we actually care about the input which is why we've got brunel on board and, and part of that process is to identify a vocabulary set that will that will become that will help define this area that nobody's really done we know that paul he has done it, we know that Sir Ken Robinson has done it, but nobody's actually applied the theory. And I think that's something that we're finding quite challenging, which is which is why it's so important to have you guys on board to help us kind of figure out what that, that pathway is. Yeah, I think you're right. We came up in the first place with three different uh, terms. So cultural capital, yeah. Uh, yeah, gaming culture, and then game culture, perhaps. And then I came up with um, students' cultural wealth, because I believe that gaming is part of the mainstream culture anyway. And like you said, Chris, 91% of the youngsters now play games. So that's everybody. Um, but then we went for gaming culture. I think we did, yeah. I think we went for yes. gaming culture. <laughs> gaming culture. And again, cultural capital is something that is very different. It's, it's another concept on its... Um, it's a different concept. Completely it's literature, different. isn't it, Asma? From what I understand, it's based on, on the literature canon. Uh, well, very briefly, so cultural capital originally is um, the culture of the um, middle class and the higher class. So it came from Bourdieu, who, uh, he, who was born in a rural area in France, and he was really clever. So he made it to those really top universities in Paris. Right. And he said that he didn't have the cultural capital to fit and to thrive within those settings. So would uh, because, cultural capital in our situation be something like Latin? Would, would uh, no. Now, cultural capital has changed a lot. And I think there was, there was a section on my PhD as well. Uh, now, teachers think that cultural capital is actually the English culture. Oh, wow. And okay. it only applies to uh, students who are from ethnic minorities. Okay, so, so that's so. So this is so this is what it's it's becoming very clear now. Obviously, for hopefully for the listener to understand why it was so important for us to partner up with a, with a, with the research partners to to figure all of this stuff out. Because, I mean, we've had our own issues with communication just with you. So trying to communicate that on a on a global level, and we're 
when we're talking about the fourth industrial revolution, when we're talking about the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, when we're talking about the World Economic Forum, you know, all of these things are, are global things. So getting that terminology right mm. is so important, isn't it? Yeah, that's why you couldn't use it in your project. It wouldn't look very good anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Which can, I just, can I just say that I, I loved Asma's response, that email that came through where, where Asma, you defined what you thought we were doing and I thought, oh, I, that's brilliant. That that is what we're doing. I didn't realise. <laughs> and you you told me very clearly what I would, and I've been using it ever since, as if I'd come up with it. Um, but that idea of cultural wealth, when you came up with that, I just thought, yes, that is that these these children, these students, own it and it's valuable. It, it's wealth. It's valuable. It can be spent. It it it, it can it brings value to them. It has value in the culture, um, but it, it can be spent like a commodity that that you can use it in various situations. And I, I just it's like a currency. The a knowledge of gaming or, or games culture or whatever is like a currency. And and I think that really speaks to what we do, because we're not interested in promoting the games industry or promoting particular games or anything. We're only interested in using it as a currency to enable a child to become who they're going to become and, and, and learn what they want to learn and all the rest. It's, it's about empowering them. So we only use it as a currency anyway. So I just thought that word wealth was, was inspired. So we, we use it all the time now. No and, problem. And I love a lot of what you guys have been kind of is helping us absolutely hone in and shape because as you probably know we've got a very clear idea of what we want the materials to do and how they should work pedagogy is always very difficult because it's a very personal thing for for an individual um, and that's very much influenced by the uh, schemes of work that are being delivered within schools uh, and they're also very much influenced by the head of departments is the pedagogy solid from I know you've not been into all the schools, but from the materials that we've been sharing with you and from the stuff that you've been helping, thank you, to verify and quality assure with us, is the pedagogy consistent? Well, in terms of the QA, so pedagogy is a big word again. This is anything to do with education. <laughs> <laughs> so it would be... Um, so how yeah. are we define... How are we, let's, let's, let's define it now then so that we can kind of have that for the listeners so that they understand. Uh Chris, do you want to do you want to come in on that? Just a brief definition of how we see pedagogy, and then we can throw that question to Asma and, and see how she she feels about it. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll define it. That's problem here. Um, well, I'm just thinking it, it, as you begin to define it, you begin to restrict what it means, and I don't want to do that. Um, but it's sort of the skills and practices and things that you bring to a learning environment. So it's like the strategies and tools and things that you use. I'm going to stop you because you've just said something that's really interesting. Is that the moment you start defining it is the moment you start restricting it. Pedagogy is a massive yes. word, yeah. and it's in, and the moment we try to define what it does, we restrict what pedagogy is. Oh, definitely. We does need that, to have. Does that is that similar with what we're doing with Checkpoint? I suppose is that's how I see it. Is is that we've got a huge yeah. industry. And the moment we try to define it is the moment we start. And I think that's maybe where the miscommunication, the initial miscommunication happens because we are trying to do everything, but we're only trying to explain one element of it. Is that, is that fair, do you think? Yeah, well, I, I don't know what you do, 
outside of you know the lessons uh but as for the lessons and and the planning of you know and that make, making sure that it fits within the curriculum and everything that would be one element of pedagogy it okay. would be really like the resources the materials you know everything to recover the curriculum and of course bringing you know students um you know skills in taking a taking into account their um, cultural background and so on. So that is what you do. So yeah, pedagogy, I think for me, pedagogy is anything to do, so as not to restrict it, anything to do with education. Very <laughs> good. Pedagogy is what the lessons does is really one element of it. Uh, but just to come back to your previous question, when you ask, um, what did you ask? How does it fit within the curriculum? I think this this was yes. your question. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I, I wouldn't know personally because uh, I'm not a primary school teacher, but uh, I hope you will get to read the transcripts. And I can tell you that the two teachers that I have interviewed so far, they thought that well, it was fantastic. Oh, so very, very good feedback. That's amazing. So they said I fit perfectly into the curriculum and yeah, you'll see. I don't That's want to amazing. spoil it. No, 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 we won't spoil it. I'm, I'm very excited. But but that I see, I, I suppose, I think from our perspective, what's really lovely, Asma, is, is, is that we've, with all the teachers that we've worked with, we've known them, we've built a relationship with them, and we've gone in and, and they know what we're trying to do and they've spent time with us. And for us, it's really encouraging to know that we've handed it over to somebody like yourself who understands what we're trying to do, most importantly, gets it now, um, and is able to kind of, um, push that conversation to see without us explaining it whether the, the teachers get it. Uh, and, and it's really lovely. Chris, did you want to add anything to that? I think, yes, I think when we were talking about pedagogy, um, one of the issues that I have is that we have an end, we do have a goal. We, we're always talking about not having an, an end point. We, we don't have a fixed outcome. But because the lessons are hopefully individualized to the students and they have their own outcome. But we do have a, um, a remit, if you like, which is to have students who are innovative, critical thinking, risk takers, um, determined, all the rest of it, all, all those things. So we have that is the that's what we're trying to create. And then I will use any pedagogy, anything I hear about, anything I read about, and I know hardly anything. It's, I think it's it's very clear here that we that I have to no, but if go on to Chat GPT no, and type in GPT type, out of this for a minute. Type in the word, type in the word, just say how many pedagogies are there, and then go away for an hour while it lists thousands and thousands of, of ways of teaching and, and theories, and, and then all those can be set up. There are thousands of books written about teaching and learning and different ways and all that. My, and I don't know them all, obviously. I know the ones that worked for 25 years that I found ways, but I was very restricted into trying to teach the national curriculum to children who didn't particularly want to learn it. I think the point here, Asma, is to, is to let you know that I, I'm on the east coast of England in a very deprived area, um, high unemployment, etc, etc. Uh, we're actually listed as one of the 50 areas for development, aren't we, for, for being deprived. Um, I think that's most of the country, to be fair. And for those, <laughs> for those students, and it was a, it's a secondary grammar school system that I'm in in Lincolnshire, so I was working in the secondary school where the two thirds of the children had already gone to the grammar. So you're left with a huge majority of, of SEN children 
um, a huge amount of, of um, poverty and, and all the rest of it, um, pupil premium, students, etc. And it's, I think it's a very fair statement to say that they didn't really see the relevance of the national curriculum and its content to them all their lives. And so you were always trying to make it relevant. Um, and so I developed the pedagogies that would deliver to them. So that restricted me. I, I, you know, if you said to me, oh, you can go and make a school, how are you gonna teach? I think, oh, I don't know where to start. Uh, I was defined by the students I was teaching. Um, and I think what I've come to realize with Checkpoint and, and looking now at all the reading I do about the curriculum and everything, that the, there are a huge range of pedagogies out there and it's a huge area, but a knowledge-based cultural capital, if I can say that model of a national curriculum starts to restrict the pedagogies you can use in the classroom because in the end it's just going to measure knowledge and the acquisition of knowledge so rote learning and regurgitation of that do you really want your children to critically think or be innovative or, or or i'm not saying this but waste time doing those things when they should just be learning what's in the play and regurgitating it um and so the whole thing begins to restrict those pedagogies and and i think that's my issue with with when we talk about pedagogy, I'm, I know a certain number of them. There are ones that, it, that gaming uses, learning principles that it uses, that are the ones that we are finding are working along with the cultural wealth of gaming and those learning sciences. The combination of those two we're finding, and I hope ASMA is finding that they're effective, and will deliver the national curriculum. So you win on both sides. You get the knowledge, but you also develop the critical thinking and the innovation. So we're trying to meet a halfway point, really. We're trying to say, look, you can use this to enable this. I think what we've also realised is that pedagogy is a great tool and an example for teachers to silo their subject matters. So learning physics, for example, you need the maths, you need the language, you need English, you need to contextualise a projectile or a trajectory in order to communicate it or in order to draw it. Or, you know, it's not just about the maths or the physics or it's about that apply you know the way in which you communicate it and i think pedagogy is used to help silo subject matters and that's what we try not to do within the learning materials we try to encompass as many subject matters a holistic approach to the different subject matters so you could take one of our lesson plans for example and teach it the whole day teach the maths element teach the geography element teach the english element teach the vocab and and that's the that's the way that we uh, that's the way that we're, we're looking to to do it so i think that's another way in which pedagog again it's that definition asmir isn't it that's that's what it comes down to it does and uh, when you speak about the uh, restricted curriculum i've recently published a paper about how um, teachers like agency in their curriculum because the curriculum is so restrictive, especially in um, English and maths in those core subjects. So yeah, if you want to read it. Yeah, so if you want to read Asma's paper, we'll put a link below in the description below. So make sure you go and read that because obviously Asma is our forefront uh, researcher on this and, and it's important to, to make sure that we understand. So yes, we will definitely share that, Anna Chris. And you're always asked the question, in the meeting, in the English meeting, I was because I was an English teacher primarily. You always ask the question: How will this impact the GCSE results? Mm -hmm. Where is the you had to show 
through a scheme of learning or whatever, every single thing you did had to show the impact on the GCSE result. And I kept arguing in meetings that no one knew where the learning was coming from. I said, we don't know what the kids are learning. You can't, you can't say that they learned this today. They, it might have only when they were eating their tea, the penny dropped or whatever, or they heard something else. Or I said, just because you taught it doesn't mean they learned it that day. And, and that's what went in. Uh, I've always talked to you, Tamir, about the hidden learning. What is the child really learning in that room when a teacher is using, as you say, you know, certain pedagogues, say that, say that, the one we talk about a lot, questioning, uh, where I I did a lot of work on on questioning, and when I was um, mentoring new teachers and things, I used to always focus on the way they questioned, and that idea that when teachers have the answer in their head and they're just waiting for the child, you know, six hands go up and they go no, 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 yes, because they had the answer in their head. You've already restricted the whole the whole learning. Has, has sort of been altered because the kids begin to realize that you've got there's, there's a right answer so they're also it then becomes guess what's in the teacher's head and then you get used to what that teacher's doing because teachers fall into patterns of teaching and the kids get used to that and everything and so sorry i've lost my place now <laughs> <laughs> sorry i got lost there but no you're right there, there, are, there are there are a lot of kind of restrictions yes asthma I just want to say that it's true that those lessons, Chris, like as you said, is that they finding they, they did find a place within the restricted area of the curriculum. So they fit very well. And you get, you know, the best of both things. Know that you teach for the exams by following the curriculum, but you're also considering, you know, the students' um, skills, developing skills and all these things. Thank you. Yes. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's that's where I was, isn't it? Everything has to fit to to the GCSE, and you can't always do that. Sometimes you are actually doing something because it's good for children to be doing it, and there's no other justification than, than no, they, they need to be doing this. And I can't connect it to the GCSE, but I think they should be working in groups and collaborating. How, how that comes out in, a, in an essay about Shakespeare, I don't know, but this is something they should do, working together. Well, I'm very aware that we've only got a couple of minutes left, and, um, and I just, uh, Asma, thank you again for, for making the time to talk to us and hopefully we'll be doing more chats, especially when we get the results and, and, yeah. and the feedback is going to be really exciting. Um, and, and, and it's, you know, it, I think it was a, it's really kind of, it's a really nice thing to kind of have that initial feedback to know that they are, they are at least doing what we expected them to do. But to be clear, you know, Chris and I had kind of put it down as if they, if they didn't do what they were supposed to do again that would have been really really helpful um for us to know from from that perspective as well so it i'm just glad that they are working with you. Yeah. Well, so far so good and i have to say the last meeting that we had was like okay let's not you know expect anything from of the course. results let's see, you know what comes out but i have to say i was really surprised when i left that first school that's amazing that's great to know yeah. and we, so I, can, I can say i was not biased at all you know i was not find positive things in the lesson because I actually didn't have a very good, you know, uh, opinion of it in the first place. But yeah, and we know, and we know that asthma. I mean, just from your correspondence, as Chris said, your first email back that kind of 
Chris and I had a 20 minute conversation. We love asthma. She gets it. She gets it. She understands it genuinely. And it was a real kind of, because we'd had that back and forth with Mike and we'd had the back and forth with Kate. We're like, Oh God, how is that going to kind of affect what we're trying to achieve? So the fact that you were able to identify what we were doing and to be fair, Kate and Mike did as well, but we were just, we were worried about the communication side of it. How are you going to communicate it to the teachers? And so the fact that it, it made itself clear and it helped you to help communicate is exactly the kind of things that, that we were hoping that it would, that we would result in because we know the children will engage. We, we know that and we just needed you guys to see it and see how it, how it works, which is brilliant. So thank you, Asma. Um, it was lovely to talk to you. Thank you both for your time today. Um, we will be doing more with Asma and more with the guys from Brunel. Um, you know, this is the start of a beautiful relationship and hopefully a long lasting one, which will, which will continue to, to grow. And we're hoping that there will be much more to talk about, especially with the new frameworks uh, that have been produced by the government, not just for education, but for the research into the video games industry, which is a huge uh, kind of uh, uh, a contributor to the, to the economy as well um but asma thank you very much for your time um, it was a pleasure thank you chris thank you very much